we had a great time to be able to spend with, with our family and um, sled ride down the hill. Um, and it was great to see Rachel and Rich and Maddie and Jackson. And uh, we don't make it out here as often as, as we would like, but it's, it's always great to be here. And I think, uh, you know, as you come out of the holiday times, um, it's, it's uh, you instantly, and I know on, our, on my drive back, it's going to be all about what to do next in the next few days. And as we come out of the holiday times, I think we all are in the mode of uh, n- the new year and the resolutions and all the things that we would like to to change <laughs> and the things that we would like to see that um, would be potentially different in our lives. Does anybody have any uh, New Year's resolutions yet? Show of hands. Any resolutions? Okay. Anybody want to share what your resolution is? What's your resolution? Ah, very good. That is. That's, very, that's a good resolution, not to make any resolutions. That's probably a good idea. Or at least any goals or anything, any ideas. And I mean, we all have uh, different aspects about um, our lives that we would like to see change sometimes or at least be different. And there's oftentimes habits um, or just things that we do in our lives that we would love to be able to, to change and the things that, that we swear we will change and it doesn't happen. And, and around the New Year is an interesting time to to try and, and tackle that. And this morning, I passed out these little uh, cards based on uh, a, a quote that I saw somewhere along the lines. A, fr- a friend of mine uh, passed it on. Um, but there's these different um, tears that we think about that, that cause um, actions in our lives, you know, and habits in our lives. But if we think about it, that if we, every, every thought that we have sows an action. Um, excuse me, every, every thought that we sow reaps an action. And therefore then our actions that we sow reap a habit. Um, so all these little actions that come together and the thoughts that we think form different actions, the different actions that we form um, eventually lead into some sort of a habit. And the habits uh, eventually sow into a lifestyle before we know it. The habits just form a lifestyle, whether that be good or bad, right? And then that lifestyle eventually is your legacy, is your destiny, is what ends up happening. And before you know it, you're 36 years old and you remembered scampering around under the pews like my son was just doing over here. And, and, uh, and before you know it, I'm sure my kids are going to be in, in high school and college and on and so on and so forth. And, and, and all of a sudden, life has just run its course and you are, there, there's your destiny, there's your legacy and it, and it has run its course. But it all starts, starts in this area of just thoughts and actions. And those, ah, those lead to habits which lead to lifestyles, which lead to a legacy or a destiny. And as we're going to see, really the, the things that we have absolute control over are right here, the thoughts and action area. Um, whereas once we get into habits, lifestyle, and legacy, it just kind of all happens. <laughs> it all ends up being out of our control, but these two things are the things that are primarily in our control. Um, and what we're going to see today is how, 
our, the work that's going on in El Salvador, we typically wouldn't think of New Year's resolutions and all this work with helping the poor people in El Salvador and this type of thing, uh, that it would necessarily uh, connect with, with New Year's resolutions. But as I was reading this uh, phenomenal book this year called uh, The Power of Habit, um, it made me think that all this that's going on in El Salvador um, and all the amazing change that we're seeing, we're seeing entire, the legacy of an entire nation being changed, has really started at this level of thoughts and actions changing in the minds of a few pastors who seemingly have no resources um, and seemingly have no ability and are poor in every way that we would consider poverty. And that they have been changing their, their mentality and it's literally leading to a new legacy and lifestyle and legacy for them. And it's having a ripple effect um, around the country. And so we're going to meet Pastor Santos today um, through uh, seeing a, a quick video um, that he's highlighted in. And then also uh, a little bit, hearing a little bit about his story. And then we will be able to reflect on what's going on in El Salvador back to our personal lives of how we can be thinking through changing our thoughts and actions to lead to habits and lifestyles and legacies um, into this new year. So we'll watch a quick video first. Such a short video trying to capture the, the momentum that's happening in El Salvador. And as, as um, all of you have known uh, since I've been coming and talking about this uh, many times about Enlace, um, but Enlace is the Spanish word for link or connect or form a relationship. Um, in Spanish, and, and in El Salvador, we've been working there since 1993, and basically the mission is to walk alongside rural churches, churches that have a heart and a passion for transforming their communities, and training them to be effective in, in uh, working with their communities, and connecting them, linking them with resources uh, to be able to do that effectively. And as you saw um, in the video, you have this uh, idea of poverty, and in El Salvador, there's, there's poverty. And it, who, who, what, do you, what do you think of when you hear the word poverty or when you think of somebody who's poor? What's the first thing that kind of comes to mind? Destitute. Destitute? Okay. Anything else? Any other concepts? Hungry? No shoes? No hope. Sad. Yeah. What's interesting, because there's so many, um, there's been a lot of studies done on poverty um, and, and the roots of it and where it comes from and, um, and what is the, 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 the true base of poverty and, you know, and where it comes from. And, and it typically, a lot of the things that were listed as well have to do with, with kind of the emotional um, side of things, which really gets at it. But also, oftentimes, I think in our mentalities, we have the idea of poverty being a lack of something, right? You're lacking something. And so, if, if you think about solving poverty as, as, if you think about poverty as a lack of resources, then solving it would simply be, mean bringing resources, right? You fix it by giving what is not available. But, we all know that that doesn't often work, does it? If there's just a lack of resources, and even in a lot of the relief context where you just kind of come in and, and bring a lot of resources, it doesn't bring about long-lasting change. Um, uh, and one of the models that 
um, we've, and Lasse has based our whole methodology on, was um, developed by a guy named Bryant Myers. And the whole concept is basically relational, is that poverty is relational in, in, in nature. And if we think about ourselves here, and it's basically relationships, first of all, between us and God. And if you think about this as how God created things to be, and in the beginning, and then even also as, as it was exemplified in the life of Christ, the ideal relationship is an a ideal relationship between us and God, between, you know, a relationship with ourself. Kind of, so you have the spiritual side, the emotional side of self-esteem and understanding of who you are. Um, obviously, the relationship with others and how that is affected. And then also a relationship with creation or the material world, which can also come in the kind of the physical realm. So you really have the you know, emotional realm, the physical realm, social and political realm, and spiritual realm. You know? And when you st- begin to think about this as the ideal relationship, poverty at its root is a set of broken relationships Oftentimes a broken relationship between you and yourself of understanding your own ability. You know, growing up in poverty and not being able to see examples in front of you of people succeeding, of your parents potentially not succeeding, of, of healthy lifestyles around you. you have, it, it affects your self, self-esteem. A broken relationship physically. In other words, just being physically sick from not having access to, to clean water and, and, and different types of, of opportunities. Your relationships with others in the political and social spectrum of having you know leaders in your community who are oppressing you, you know. Um, I mean, there's just down uh, down the list in terms of of um, of just broken relationships from people helping one another. You know that every everyone just kind of trying to climb to the top of the pile over top of each other, and then a broke broken relationship with God and understanding um, God's will for for us. You know, and we see. That this at its root is the, the poverty at its root is relational, and so if we're going to be a, go about fixing poverty, we have to be about restoring relationships, about restoring all these types of relationships in a holistic manner. Um, and to illustrate this, I want you to meet Pastor Santos, who's the guy on the far left up there, and Santos um, will tell you himself that he was the the, the, the poorest of the poor. Um, in every regard. It's not that he is now, I'm not going to tell you that he's now making a ton of money or that he is, in, by, by our, our standards, that he is now rich. But he, j- I just heard him speak in front of a group of 200 pastors uh, about three weeks ago, well, the beginning of December, and he was talking about how, he feel, how rich he feels, how wealthy he feels um, because of the way that he has been restored. But if you think of Pastor Santos, a guy who grew up in an impoverished home, no education, went to first or second grade. Um, he has a disability, physical disability, if you think about it in the physical realm, of these bone diseases, which he still um, deformed his face from ha- having uh, bone disease, and his, um, he had you know, multiple surgeries. Um, it affects his back and his ability to be able to work. And so, I mean, he had impoverished in a physical realm, impoverished in a, in a social realm in his community, in the way that he was uh, not able to connect with people. Um, 
But what's interesting, in, in, impoverished, even though he was a pastor, he describes his poverty, his spiritual poverty as well. Even though he was a pastor of a Pentecostal church, that all he did was preach, we got to just grit our teeth till we get to heaven. You know? <laughs> the, this world sucks. <laughs> And we have the, the worst of the worst. We just have to grit our teeth and get as many people on, on the ship before the whole world sinks um, and, and get to heaven. But he was miserable the entire time. He was miserable. He felt miserable. He just gritted his teeth and tried to smile as much as possible. Well, if, you, if, you, if we look at Pastor Santos, and go ahead and go to the next slide. Um, Santos began, first of all, in his thoughts and actions, and this is where I wanted to bring this in, is the fact that, that for Santos to be able to change his thoughts and actions was really what changed the whole paradigm of him being able to have new uh, relationship, first of all, with God. And second of all, with, with other people in his community. And he began to understand himself as blessed by God in order to be a blessing to others. To begin to seek out relationship with others in his community you understand that God was calling him to to be a complete being within himself and to be able to to heal others in the physical realm and in the emotional realm and the fruits of of it have been absolutely amazing as he has been begun to reach out to his community and be able to begin to um, restore relationships with his communities he has um, and th- I think this quote from Lillian um, up there is one of the, the, the best examples of the way that other community members, including like Lillian was a community leader who wasn't a member of the church. She now is a member of the church. But uh, who, you know, talks about that she realized that we're not here with open hands simply waiting to receive help. That God has given each of us the tools and the ability to be able to provide for ourselves. And how have they done that? In, in El Espino, the community where he works, they first started with home gardens. Um, and just, they're all farmers. They all know how to, how to farm corn and beans, but none of them wanted to be able to take the risk of, of growing fruits and vegetables, um, of no, growing new vegetables in their own home garden plot. And I know that this is a, Jenny and I tried our own little home garden this year. And it was, it was uh, quite the adventure. <laughs> And quite the risk, <laughs> quite honestly. I mean, it was an investment to, to build, you know, to build the little raised bed, to gr- get the seeds. It was an investment of time in even, even the fact of uh, having all the access to information that we have. I was scared <laughs> to try this and, um, you know, searching stuff online all the time and asking friends. And, and, and we had some successes and some failures. And, but, you know, people often ask, well, why don't they just... You know, why didn't they ever think of growing home gardens before? Well, it's, not, it's a big risk for people to, to step out and, and try and do something like that. I know how much of it felt like a risk for us. It was, I was worried we were going to waste our money. I mean, you know, I'm sure we invested probably 250 300 bucks in this thing between tomato cages and all this stuff, you know, and, and it's not an actual profitable thing for people. Anyhow, they started with home gardens, and now you have hundreds of people in their community who are successfully growing home gardens and actually creating income um, because the, the church and community have worked together. And then they took it to a second level and started uh, growing tilapia ponds. 
Um, they, there's uh, about 25 people now that have tilapia ponds, and Lillian is actually the leader of this women's uh, business group, this uh, cooperative, um, where they have now, they're now producing tilapia and have a profitable business. Uh, tilapia fish? Yeah, sorry. Yes, they're these little fish ponds. And we actually have some ag engineers on staff who go out there and help them on a weekly basis, giving them the coaching to be able to do it. And after a year and a half cycle, after they've gone through three growing cycles, they're off and running on their own. But that's exactly what I would have loved. I wish we had an ag engineer come and visit our home garden all summer. That would have been really helpful. Um, but same thing with, uh, tila- with the tilapia ponds. Basically, we have an ag engineer who had done market research and was able to be able to find out that they'll be able to sell their, their tilapia at a profit um, and help them design the model. And now they're off and running. Lillian and her, her uh, seven other women are in the co-op together. And, th- and actually, Lillian has now started other businesses. Um, she uh, did an artisanal wine thing out of, out of local um, fruits and whatnot, which it was kind of a, that was actually a government-funded project, and it flopped on her because no one had done the market research to realize that no one's going to buy it. You can't sell artisanal wines in, in rural communities. Which is <laughs> but, but she did actually start um, doing shampoos um, and, uh, uh, and natural soaps, which, which that one has, has gone really well for. But long story short, there's been uh, the, the Santos... And his church leaders have been working together to, to resolve the needs of the community in real way. Go ahead to the next one. Um, oh yeah, and there's Lillian with her daughter um, with the little tilapias in her little uh, uh, wakal there, the plastic container. Go ahead, next one. And also in the El Espino area, uh, one of the church leaders up in the upper left there, Estela, um, as the church got organized and began reaching out to their community, they... Uh, each were assigned different neighborhoods that they work in, that they were to, to, to go. And basically the, the process that we help walk them through is that they get organized as a church, start to realize what resources they have a church body, and then they go uh, do census, a census in their community to basically understand who does what in their community, who are, you know, uh, uh, farmers who are business owners who work in the city you know all basically do a general census of the whole community find out what's going on in the community well Estela was assigned the most dangerous section of her community a neighborhood uh, called Zacamil that there was uh, one murder a week in this neighborhood it was just run by gangs um, and no one came in and out of the neighborhood unless the gangs knew I mean you literally just don't wander down those streets well Estela that was her neighborhood to do so she walks in there and, um, and basically goes right up to the gang leaders and tells them uh, about home gardens and about all these different things that they're going to be doing and, and wants to know if they want to be involved because they have to get connected with their community leaders. Well, in this case, the community leaders are the gang leaders. <laughs> well, long story short, fast forward to, you know, the end of this year, uh, just in December, Estella was at our pastor's retreat again and talking about how the, there has not been a murder in their neighborhood in the past year and a half. And long story short, there's uh, uh, um, the, the two gang leaders, the guy in the middle sitting on the hammock next to his tilapia pond and the guy on the bottom f- fertilizing his, uh, his, his tomato plants. Um, and they've actually made profitable businesses and left the gang lifestyle. Two of the six gang leaders are now coming to church. Um, and it's a completely changed community. You know, I mean, it's just, it's absolutely amazing. They've also done, go ahead to the next one. They've also done a number of housing projects. They've done, built over 35 homes. Um, they've worked with their 
uh, public school, you know, the evangelical church working with the public school to build perimeter walls and a retaining wall. They've improved like five or six miles of roads all combined where they've, they've gone in and, and helped. And all of this has been done with the community. In other words, like the, the pastor has connected with the mayor's office um, to be able to make these things happen. Another thing that, that uh, Santos talks about and he was just at our, our church leaders retreat talking about this and there wasn't a dry eye in the place as he was describing his um, work with people with disabilities. Since When he was in the hospital and going through so much of what he went through and as a person with disabilities himself, he always had a heart for helping people with disabilities. Well, in, you know, in El Salvador, there's no real government-run programs for anything, <laughs> let alone for people with disabilities. Um, and he began to realize that he, well, he went to, to go on a home visit um, at a house that was three doors down from his church, that he'd never met this family before. Well, it turns out their 12-year-old son, who was, was disabled, was literally chained to the tree in the backyard, you know? And it just broke his heart, and he started to, to he found a couple other, other uh, people. And long story short, he is now, identified they he was put he was made responsible to identify all the people in his region of the country with disabilities and just within like a 10 mile radius of his church there were 89 different people with disabilities and almost all of them no one knew about you know it's just kind of the cultural thing that they were just people just being they don't know what to do with them half the time they just let them die literally because there's nothing else to do with them they can't take them to the public hospital the public hospital won't do it and and we've actually gone on multiple home visits now with him um he has now started his own foundation um where with the help of the local government, they have now started their own foundation to help people with disabilities. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely amazing the way that he has been able to uh, transform the, his entire region of the country, you know, and and basically working hand in hand, in hand with his community uh, to make it all happen. Um, go ahead to the to the next one. Yeah, and this is Santos just a few weeks ago at the uh, pastor's retreat t- telling all of the other uh, churches about his experience. And just like Santos, there's actually been, I mean, we, this past year we worked with, over, with 53 different churches, um, and we have over 100 churches on a waiting list just waiting for this to happen. And the, just waiting for, and lastly, to come alongside and help uh, accompany them uh, as well. And what gets me fired up about all of this <laughs> is the fact that with over 100 churches on a waiting list, our goal is to be able to get to 100 churches um, by 2015, which if we can grow the capacity of our staff to be able to do it, sh- shouldn't be a problem. But the concept of by 2020, the, I- the idea was to work with 250 churches. Well, it turns out that there's only 262 municipalities in all of El Salvador. So, if we think about a Pastor Santos with all of his home gardens and his tilapia ponds and, and his economic development projects and his housing and his working with people with disabilities and whatever else comes up, whatever are the most dire needs in his community. Think about one Pastor Santos in every community, every municipality of El Salvador. It's a different country. And as Santos will tell you, 
It was just the fundamental thoughts of being able to control who he saw himself as, who he felt like God had called him to be, and his immediate actions, which changed his habits. So instead of being, oh me, oh my, all I'm going to do is sit here and twiddle my thumbs like Lillian talked about, as people seeming like they were sitting there with open hands waiting to receive, now recognizing I am called by God to do whatever I can to help my community, just changing his thoughts and actions has completely and totally changed his lifestyle. He can't talk to you about it without crying. Just understanding the fact that his life has completely changed and the legacy of his entire, not only his own life, but his church, his community, and now his nation as he has become one of the leaders of our, of our uh, pastoral steering committee and helping to spread this throughout the entire country. And it all took place with just changing his thoughts and actions of him understanding himself as someone who is called by God, who is special in God's eyes, um, and called to be able to serve his community. And I think that in the same way, us as individuals, that's where we're called to be. We're, we're too often focused on worried about this lifestyle and habit stuff, you know? And I just are gritting our teeth trying to change everything. When we, if we can allow ourselves to come close to God and be able to, to allow him to shape our thoughts and our actions and focus on those from a day-to-day basis, allowing God to, to change us and call us on an individual basis, that, that you, know, the, you know, the proverb, my dad brought up the proverb as I was talking about this the other day, that it was the Proverbs 23, 7 that says, for as he thinks within himself, so he is. In other words, you are what you think. <laughs> we think about that a lot. You are what you eat. <laughs> That's true. But you also, you, you are what you think. And, and, and actually the proverb is talking about a wealthy man who as he thinks of himself, that, that which is what he is. But actually in a bad way because the guy, the, the wealthy man from that proverb is greedy. And all of his rewards and all of his legacy and all of his lifestyle and everything is about hoarding wealth. And the wealth that, 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 that fades away, right? But if we think about that in contrast to Santos, a guy who's not about, his, his, it's not about thinking positive so that I can get for me and mine. About thinking positive knowing that God has blessed me to be a blessing. And that all of our thoughts and actions should be about that. That we are to be you know, a whole person as God created us to be, to be made, understand that we're made in his image and special in his image and have a, a self-esteem, a God esteem <laughs> and that would be able to create habits that, that are holy, that are loving for others, that would, would call people's attention to come to the kingdom and loving others and being healthy in every single way, emotionally, physically, spiritually, and socially in the way that we um, are are just being a light of Christ for the world. And so I encourage us to, to think about that as we, are, as we go out into the new year and that we can look to um, people like Santos, people like these pastors that, that seemingly have nothing and are changing their entire country, changing their legacy just based on our thoughts and actions. And we know that if, if that is possible at that level, that it is surely possible with each and every one of us as well. Um. I wanted to open it up for, for questions as well and comments if anybody has any, any, any questions or comments about this.
I get a little rambling and excited about it all. But anybody have any comments or questions? Yeah, Bob. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, it, what's that? Yeah, well, it's all national. Um, the, the next step for us is now that we're working in over, um, you know, 50 uh, communities out throughout the entire country, the next step, and actually go to the next slide. I think it actually shows the map with all little dots. But um, now that we're working with churches throughout the country by 2015, we actually have, um, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I know that we're doing uh, fish ponds and tilapia ponds in at least 10 different communities. And the idea is to actually start a, a, a small business um, and have constant supply for, to actually have a, na- a whole nationwide business to be able to get them to access to the market to get higher price. Because in the, in the rural community, they can um, sell the tilapia at about a dollar a pound, which one fish is, is, is uh, excuse me, two fish is about one pound. So they can get a dollar for two fish. But at their local market, they can actually sell it for three dollars a pound and if they can get it to the supermarket, kind of at a national level, they can sell it at $354 a pound. So it's actually can become much more profitable whenever they have access to market. Um, so the idea is it, it likely wouldn't become like a, an exporting business, but it would be definitely a national business. And along with that business, we, we're trying to decide, find things that are already, the projects that have been identified, like the tilapia ponds, identified by the church and community themselves, and like the home gardens, and then uh, once they get going over a, few, over a number of years, make them into businesses that are profitable. So along with the home gardens, they've all been taught how to do uh, organic fertilizer. And they create tons, literally tons, of this organic fertilizer um, that they distribute out to, to all the uh, home garden participants. Well, all of a sudden, there's a huge demand for organic fertilizers and pesticides in El Salvador because everyone's petrified of the chemicals that they've been using because uh, there's some of the sugarcane communities where uh, 25 to 30 percent of the men are all dying of kidney failure because of the chemical pesticides they've been using on the sugarcane and all of a sudden everyone has got everyone scared throughout the rural areas and there's, so there's a huge demand for organic fertilizer well these guys are already producing it so this year we did a pilot project with actually in Pastor Santos community of selling organic fertilizers and it sold super fast and they they were they were they only had a you know so anyhow t- developing national businesses to actually be able to to give them profitable businesses but for us it's most important that these projects have been birthed from the churching community and, and boiling up so it was a long answer to the t- fish question <laughs> it was this big any other questions or comments um, they start with with the with uh, whatever they'll consume, and that's what I was also going to say about fish. Is that most of these projects are first identified as for for nutrition, um, and so they usually will, uh, almost always do uh, green beans and tomatoes, uh, some onions, um, and but then there's a lot of other cash crops that like cilantro. There's been a, a not a lot of cilantro available. Um, it, on the national market, but there's there's a huge demand for it. They were getting a lot of money, uh, you know, at the market for for cilantro. Um, they also do other local crops like laroco, which is a a um, a flower, like a blooming flower that they use to put in their eggs and and all kinds of stuff, um, and a lot of different squash, um, uh, like a yellow squash and things like that. So, 
But again, it's part of, it's kind of a balance between some of it, in some of the communities they have identified the home gardens as purely uh, nutritional, for nutritional value. Um, in other communities they've identified it uh, for economic, so it depends on the community. Good question? <laughs> not too bad, not too bad. We actually, huh? Yeah, we had a ton of tomatoes. Um, yeah, it wouldn't have been profitable, that's for sure. <laughs> Um, but it was a lot of fun. We actually did it with what was fun about it too, and that uh, we did it with our neighbors. So we uh, we had three houses, actually four families that that kind of all went in on it together, um, which that made it a lot of fun. And you know, and that's actually one of the things that is really valuable about these projects in El Salvador as well is that is some sometimes these are the first time people have actually come together to work on a project. You know. Um, and they, they cite that as being one of the most important aspects about the project as well. And it was for us. It was a good way to, to get in on something with our, with our neighbors. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, the average, the, most of the rural families are subsistent farmers that just grow corn and beans on rented land, usually on, on two, three acres of, of rented land that they farm by hand. And, and yeah, like in the mountainous areas, you'll see it just on the steepest of steepest hillsides with super rocky terrain. And, and they literally wear soccer cleats to farm just to get up and down the hill, you know. And, and, and um but they, that's always on rented land. They usually will own the plot that they live on, which is very, very small, you know. And, uh, but they have to give back 20 to 30% of whatever they grow, um, you know, or whatever profit they make off of corn and beans um, back to rent the land. Um, and, but yeah, and rural families just don't eat, you know, when we've, we've done health studies in, in rural areas, they'll eat on average, you know, one serving of meat per month. Uh, two to three servings of, of vegetables, of green vegetables per week um, on average. And besides that, it's just corn and beans and lots of oil. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a bad nutritional uh, way to live. And so the uh, idea of in- increasing their nutritional intake is extremely important. And whenever, whenever people are healthier, <laughs> they can work harder and they're happier and more, you know, contribute more to, to, their, to society, so... Other questions, comments? Where do you see this going? Um, well, I mean, we're definitely, uh, actually this year we are um, going to start working in Nepal. Uh, we've had a few other organizations been contacting us about replicating this model in other countries. And uh, we'll be re- we're starting in Nepal, and it's an organization that has a reach in Nepal and northern India and uh, Burma. Um, and basically there are a lot of organizations that have been uh, equipping churches or you know, training churches to try and do things like this, but there hasn't been a real methodology that has worked. Um, typically it's been the church, teaching the church to kind of just go out and do evangelism or ministry without having a methodology that helps connect them with the community. So we're, we're, we're replicating the model that we have uh, in El Salvador uh, in other countries that will start in, in uh, Nepal and Myanmar uh, this upcoming year. And actually, we're taking some of our church coaches from El Salvador that have been working with us uh, for a number of years um, who originally had a call to do missions and were trained as missionaries. They will be missionaries to Nepal. 
from El Salvador. Um, and so they'll do the, the, the training there. Um, and we also are starting a pilot project in Florida to basically adapt this methodology to U.S. churches. Um, and through another organization in Florida, we'll be uh, training 200 churches in Broward County in Florida um, this year. But what that, that, so that's a whole new, whole new uh, animal for us, <laughs> working with the U.S. church. Any other comments or questions? Well, I really appreciate you guys listening. Um, it's fun to talk about, and we're really excited about uh, where God is, has has brought our organization. You know, it's it's wild to think that since uh, 2002, whenever we first went down there, um, yeah, it was kind of a small little little thing. We went on our honeymoon and didn't know what we were going to do or how we were going to help. Um, it was just a, you know, we had seven or eight people on staff and, uh, but had met a couple pastors that just felt like, man, this is what God is wanting, is doing, you know, wants to do <laughs> in the world. And, uh, and getting behind, um, Ron Bueno, our executive director, who's just really had an amazing vision for all of this. And now it's just taken off. Um, we really appreciate your your support and your prayers over the years, um, and and you know God does amazing things when when we listen to Him and respond to Him and and yeah to me the one of the most uh, wonderful things is to see the meet these pastors um, and then also meet our our the staff that keep coming on like we always worried you know and especially now coming back to the U S we worry whether or not. You know, things will, will continue in El Salvador, and I have no doubt anymore about that. Just over the past couple of years, it's been absolutely amazing. Just this year, we're now up to uh, 45 uh, people on staff in El Salvador. And this year, we finally had our kind of middle management meeting, where before it was basically two or three leaders that were kind of running everything. And now we've got eight or ten guys that are running it all, I mean, and, and girls that are running this thing, and just amazing. So God has just been blessing it beyond our wildest imaginations, really, and we're just so thankful. And it's really been because of, of prayers and support um, that make it happen. Uh, so thank you. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the projects that we did this year, um, and one of the most effective projects, and actually Santos um, and uh, his church have done it as well, but especially effective for um, rural, uh, for our first churches that come on. Instead of like doing, because we have some water, like big projects that are, you know, $1.5 million and super complex and whatnot, and other projects that are really simple. Well, eco stoves um, I've been a way that's super, super effective uh, and really easy project for people to do. Basically, in almost all of the rural uh, El Salvador, they cook on open fires um, inside of their home. Um, and basically, you know, obviously the whole, the whole room fills with smoke. I mean, it's usually somewhat ventilated, but still, it's open fire. I mean, if you've ever been standing around a campfire and you're like, man, smoke's following me. You know, and your eyes are burning, and that's what it's like all day, every day. Long story short, <laughs> they the churches work with the communities, and they basically just enclose the fire with with uh, brick and adobe and or cement, whatever design that they come up with with our engineers, so that the, so that it doesn't change the way the women are cooking, because there's all kinds of great you know technology 
um, <laughs> that women won't use to cook if they don't like the way they cook that way, right? So um, they encloses the fire with a new design and then puts a chimney on it. And uh, so it's a, a new eco stove that, that they design and they build uh, the church and community together. And so we've been doing this uh, uh, campaign this Christmas called Cooking Up Love um, that is supporting these eco stove projects. We have um, over uh, 500 of them that have been identified for next year and over 1,000 that will be you know, done by 2014. And we raised uh, $200 per stove um, to be able to train families on, on how to do this. And uh, it's been a great project. Um, and the oven mitt was one of the, the uh, an, an item that we, were, that we have available um, as being able to gift to someone else as well. And, and these have been uh, funded already. The, the $15 oven mitt has already been funded. So the $40 that you give for the oven mitt um, actually helps to bring a stove to one person. So um, if you're thinking of that, even for a late Christmas gift or a Valentine's present, that's one of the other things that we'll be doing for Valentine's Day is cooking up love. So, but uh, we have those available. And if you, you can check out all the, the videos and everything about it as well uh, at cookinguplove.org. But um, feel free to, and feel free, do we have any more of these bracelets, many of these? But yeah, and there's a couple of story cards and uh, the, the oven made about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Dad? Okay, instead of um, receiving an offering, um, I was just going to say, um, get, how much is it? 40 40 for you. Yeah, if you want to get a $40 gift for yourself or someone else, um, get it back there, and that'll be your offering. Instead of putting in the offering today, you get, you get to take it home a mitt, cooking up love, you know. Buy it for your wife, tell her she needs to cook more. And it's, it's going to uh, be <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Rhonda got two for Christmas. You know, she got two for Christmas. You but always take a bell salad every time you're pulling out hot cookies. Yeah, so... Yeah, you can do it. Yeah, so if you'd like to um, make a contribution to El Salvador and to David and so on, do so, buy the mitt, whatever, it's all good. All right, let's all stand, shall we? Father, we are grateful to you that you have blessed us, and thank you, Lord, for the work of service that you provide and work through uh, David and Lasse and all the missions projects that they are heading up and the difference they are making in this country. And Lord, how that this difference now will reach to other places and other parts of the world. So Lord, we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that your wisdom and guidance be with um, each, of the, each of the individuals as they do the planning and the strategic ideas that go into making things work in communities, Lord, where Seemingly nothing has worked before. Lord, it is through your church and through your people that you make a difference. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that is the most creative. And that, Lord, as we, pray, we open our lives to you, that you help us to be creative in our thoughts, our, our actions. And, Lord, as we spread your word, we will be creative again. Bless, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.